It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Is this religious movement that says they're Christian, are they a cult? I ask one question. What do they do with the doctrine of Jesus? Because if they don't teach that Jesus Christ was the only virgin-born son of the Most High God who lived a sinless life, who died vicariously in your place, who was buried, came back again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back again, fully God and fully man, you mess with that, you're not a church. That's Chad Harvey, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. We've been going through the book of Revelation. We've been talking about seven churches that Jesus sent a letter to. He, he meets John. John is an old man, probably in his 90s, on the island of Patmos. It's, about, it's basically Alcatraz. Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to dictate seven letters to seven specific churches on the mainland. And we've been going through those letters. And y'all been so good because it's not been fun. I mean, it's, by and large, Jesus is upset with this, upset with that. It really is a uh, kind of a sad look at the state of the church. And so y'all hung in there with me, and I know it's been kind of a downer. And next week, we're going to get back up and be happy. We'll be talking about the tribulation with meteors hitting planet Earth, pestilence, and oceans of blood. So it'll be happy beginning next week, okay? But remember last week we said, these churches are... (laughs) It looks like they span 2,000 years. It's almost like Jesus, standing back 2,000 years ago, kind of also stood outside of our space-time continuum and knew what was going to be happening over the last 2,000 years. Because if you look at these seven churches, it goes right along with the seven ages of, of, of the church. And I told you last week, I believe when Jesus comes back, there are going to be two kinds of churches. One, we talked about it last week, is the church at Philadelphia. That is a missions church that follows the word of God. I believe that's going to happen when Jesus comes and raptures the church. Let me say this. Y'all do believe Jesus is coming back, don't you? Y'all believe that? Y'all believe in the rapture that he's going to take the earth from the, 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 the church from the earth? Okay. And he said something last week to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10 that has to apply to something more than just that local church. He says, I'm coming to take you out of this testing, this tribulation that is coming over the whole face of the earth, that's more than just a geographical church. I believe he's talking about the rapture. There will be a second church when Jesus Christ comes back, and it's this final church, the church at Laodicea. And I don't know if we have the the PowerPoint up, but you, you saw that. The church at Philadelphia, I believe, will be here. That is the missions church, the faithful church. That is the church that will be raptured. But there's also going to be, in the final days, a lukewarm, compromising Laodicean church. I'm reminded that we're living in the Laodicean age because last week I saw a video, very well done video, produced by the United Methodist denomination. And this professional, well done video highlighted a ministry candidate named Isaac Simmons who preaches in the United Methodist Church, but he preaches in drag. He is a drag queen preacher. And his drag queen name, and I'm not making this up, is Miss Penny Carter.
Pentecost. Ha ha, get it? Pentecost. Because evidently on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit spoke something new, and now he's speaking something new again, just like Pentecost, and what he's speaking is that drag queens can be preachers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the freak show that we call the American church. Uh, Pastor, I don't think it's very professional to uh, bash other denominations. I stopped being professional years ago, okay? That, that's a, th- this, this is the lukewarm Laodicean church age that we're living in. And to understand Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea, you got to understand the background of the city. Laodicea, of the seven different churches that Jesus wrote to, Laodicea was the wealthiest of the cities. In fact, Laodicea was basically a combination of Silicon Valley and Beverly Hills. Um, it was named, actually, this man named Antiochus, the, 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 the Greek leader Antiochus, took the city, renamed it after his wife. Her name was Laodicea, and so he named the, the city after her a couple months before he divorced her, but that's how the city got its name. And the economy of Laodicea was built on three things. Number one, banking. There in the Lycus Valley, you had a north-south interstate and an east-west interstate, and they came together right there at Laodicea. And in fact, there is evidence that they had trade all the way to the Yellow River in, uh, in modern-day China. And the, the banking there was so good that even people like Cicero, y'all have heard of Cicero before? He did his banking in Laodicea. So that was the first industry, banking. Second industry was the wool industry. They had these black sheep there that they would shear and they had this glossy, luxurious black wool, I guess filled with lanolin, and they would make these wonderful, beautiful garments out of that black wool. That was the second part of their economy. And then their economy, number three, was built on a medical school. They had a medical school there, and that medical school uh, uh, specialized in eye salve, which is a mixture of uh, oil and uh, calorium powder, and that eye salve was known all throughout the ancient world. In fact, Aristotle mentioned their eye salve, okay? And let me say this, a little aside, a little trivia fact, because I don't want to embarrass myself, so I, this week I said, how is it pronounced? Is it salve or salve? Because I've heard it both ways. And I did some research. Did you know, like in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, whatever, they pronounce it I salve with the L? The American pronunciation is salve without the L. And so since that's the American pronunciation, that's the right pronunciation. All right, so. And then um, Laodicea was part of a tri-city area. You had Laodicea. And then six miles away, you had a city called Heriopolis. We've got a map of this. Heriopolis had these hot springs. People come from all over to go to Heriopolis to go to their hot springs because they thought it had medicinal value. So you had Laodicea, you have um, Heriopolis with their hot springs, and then there's another town uh, about six miles away called um, Colossae. Y'all have got a book in your Bibles, that book Colossians. It was Paul's letter to the church there at the town of Colossae. And Colossae was known for their beautiful, cold, crisp springs. Now, Laodicea didn't have the hot springs of Heriopolis. They didn't have the cold springs of Colossae. Their water was horrible. In fact, they were right there on the Lycus River, and the river was so muddy and filthy, they couldn't use that water. So they had an underground aqueduct that came from miles, and archaeologists have uncovered that aqueduct and looked at the terracotta pipes, and it's just clogged up with all kinds of debris and silt. It was absolutely filthy. And that was the church there at Laodicea in that town with this filthy, filthy water supply. Now, there's no commendations here. Every other letter, except maybe uh, Sardis, Jesus says, I like this about you, church. I don't like this about you. Here, there's no commendations. 
And let's see what Jesus says to this last church. Revelation chapter three, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot or cold nor hot. And I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, how does a church become a Laodicean church? Or this Laodicean church of the last days before Jesus Christ comes back, what's it going to be like? Let me give you three traits. Number one, I'm going to use a big word here. I'm not trying to impress you. I just couldn't come up with a better word. Number one, they have Christological problems. Do you know what I mean by Christological? They have this weird doctrine of Jesus. Christology is the doctrine of Christ. And churches die when Jesus stops being Jesus in their church. When you ask me, is this organization a cult? Is this religious movement that says they're Christian, are they a cult? I ask one question. What do they do with the doctrine of Jesus? Because if they don't teach that Jesus Christ was the only virgin-born son of the Most High God who lived a sinless life, who died vicariously in your place, who was buried, came back again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back again, fully God and fully man, you mess with that, you're not a church. And evidently, that's what happened here at Laodicea. Because remember what I told you, right down the road, there's a, a city named Colossae. 30 years before, Paul had written the book of Colossians to that church because they had all kinds of Jesus problems, all kinds of Christological problems. And Paul had to write that letter to set those problems straight. And uh, he, he closes that letter uh, in Colossians 4.16 this way. Now, when this epistle, when this letter, the book of Colossians, is read among you, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Implication, the heresy that's in your church has infiltrated that church and it's got to be corrected as well. And that's why Jesus starts off this letter so beautifully. Verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen. Y'all know Hebrew and you didn't realize it. Amen is a Hebrew word. It means yes, true, truthful. The amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now stop. Pastor, you just said Jesus is fully God. Yes. Then by nature, he has no beginning. Yes. Why does it call Jesus the beginning then? 
Beginning, the Greek word is arche. It can mean chronologically, the beginning, or it can also mean positionally, the, the main one, the chief one. In fact, in Jesus' time, and we see this in the book of Acts, the leaders of the Jewish people were called the chief priests. Same word, arche. Doesn't mean they were the first priests. There are 1,400 years of priests before them. What they're saying is, no, those are the main ones, the dominant ones. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just some guy. I'm not just some figurehead. I'm not just some person that you take my name and say, the church of Jesus Christ. No, I am God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the preeminent one over all creation. That's who I am. And in fact, again, 30 years before, just down the road from the Laodiceans, Paul had to correct the Jesus problems there. And I love what he says, Colossians 1.15. Now, I'm going to read this. And while I'm reading this, just kind of let this soak in. This is powerful stuff. Jesus says he, or probably Paul says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first form from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, I want you to see this in verse 15. He, Paul says, Jesus is the firstborn. You get, all right, well, Chad, you said he's God, but right there he says he's the firstborn. God can't be born. God has no beginning. That word firstborn, it is a title of respect. In the Old Testament, Israel is called God's firstborn nation, but they weren't the first nation. There were other nations, okay? Um, and I think it's Jeremiah. The tribe of Ephraim is called the firstborn, means the preeminent one. But they weren't the first tribe. They're the tribe of Reuben was. So what it's saying is Jesus Christ, he is the man. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Now, Paul also says something in 17, verse 17. It kind of amazes me. He says, in Jesus, not only was everything created, I'm with you on that. He also says something astounding. He says, in Jesus, all things consist, all things hold together. What is he talking about? Lambert Dolphin, a physicist from Stanford University, who's also a Christian, said this. The nucleus of every atom, so everything you see right now, you break it down to the smallest point, it's the atom. That the nucleus of every atom is held together by what physicists call, now this is what physicists call them, weak forces and strong forces. The nucleus of an atom contains positively charged and neutral particles. Logic tells us they should repel each other, yet there's some kind of, again, what physicians call, or, or, or uh, uh, physicists call a strong force that holds these atoms, these particles, together. Similarly, the electrons circling the nucleus should use up all of their energy and collapse into the nucleus, yet there is some type of invisible energy force that prevents this collapse from happening. And what Paul is saying is, you can call that force strong force, you can call it weak force, you can call it whatever you want, I call it Jesus. It's Jesus that holds everything in the universe together. Now, beloved... The last day Laodicean church will fall away from a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And I started seeing this happening 30 years ago. 30 years ago when I was in college, 
there is when the debates started happening about was Jesus born of a virgin? And a lot of our denominations in America said, no, we don't believe Jesus is born of a virgin. Explain that. We're scientific. We're a little bit more urbane. A woman can't have a, a baby if she's not had relations with a man. And so they doubted the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. That was a, an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. And a scholar pastor that I respect greatly was asked recently to review a book that's now talking about all the people leaving these mainline denominations here in America, Methodists and Episcopalian and Presbyterian USA and all this, they're all leaving over the whole LGBT issue. And I like what he says. He says, 30 years ago, your denomination doubted the inspiration of scripture and you stayed. 30 years ago, your denomination doubted the deity of Jesus Christ and the virgin birth of Jesus and you stayed. And now the LGBT issue has come up and now you're leaving. I'm glad you're leaving, but you should have left 30 years ago when they doubted the divinity of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, the word Laodicea, the, the etymology, Laos means people, DK means rule or justice, justice. Basically, you put it together and it almost sounds like it means a, a church or a city that is ruled by the people. That's a bad way to run a church. Where we say church... What do y'all think marriage is? Y'all think it's between one man, one woman? Could it be two men, two women? Y'all decide, well, we decided this. Okay, well, since y'all decided that way, that's our new definition. Nope. Or like a denomination in Europe last week or two weeks ago voted. Y'all think cohabitation is okay? Let, let's vote on it. Yeah, we think it's okay. All right, then I guess it's okay. And Jesus says, y'all gonna take all the silly little votes you want. I'm Jesus, it's my church. I get to decide what's right or what's wrong. It's not the rule of the people. So the Laodicean church of the last day, They'll have Christological problems. Secondly, they will be complacent and lethargic. Verse 16, Jesus makes the strongest statement he makes of all the seven statements to churches. He says to the church at Laodicea, you make me vomit. A scholar studied the water supply at Laodicea, and he said the water at Laodicea had what he called a, quote, emetic effect. In other words, the water at Laodicea was so bad, people just start throwing up all the time. Jesus said, church, you're just like that. He says, remember those three cities? He said, I wish, church, y'all were like hot, like the hot springs of Heriopolis right down the road from you. A healing balm to a dying world. Or I wish you were cold, like the cold, crisp waters of Colossae that, that quenches the thirst of a thirsty world. But you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm, you're complacent, and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Or as Leonard Ravenhill said it, the Christian today is so subnormal that when he finally begins to act normal, everybody considers him abnormal. And now I... There's an illustration I want to use here, but I'll be honest, this is the most overused illustration when it comes to this passage, all right? I, uh, I looked at five sermons this past week, and they all use the same illustration I'm about to use, and I wanted to get creative and come up with something different, but I'm not that creative, so I'm just going to use the illustration, okay? Here it is. All right, y'all can go to the arena down here and watch grown men put balls through an 18-inch metal rim and go crazy, and everybody thinks that's perfectly fine. Or you soccer fans. Guys, I tried. I tried to watch soccer. I can't. I can't do it. Um, wing passes to the center. Center back to the wing. Wing holds it. 
Back to the center. Back to the wing. Back to the center. Back for two hours. Okay, but... And they have riots and they go crazy and whatever, but that's okay. You can watch soccer and get excited. You can watch basketball, football, get excited. But if you happen to get a little bit happy about the one who walked out of the tomb and crushed the head of the serpent and saved your soul from a devil's hell and is coming back, suddenly you're a fanatic. Doesn't make any sense to me. So Jesus says, church, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. The Laodicean church of the last days will have a Christological problem. They will be complacent. And then number three, they will be proud and arrogant. Verse 60, look at this, 62 AD, there was a major earthquake that destroyed Laodicea. Now, earthquakes were common back then, and what would happen if a city would be leveled by an earthquake, the Roman government would step in and say, hey, look, we'll give you money, we'll help you rebuild your city. When Laodicea was destroyed by that earthquake, the Roman government stepped in and they said to the Roman government, we don't need your money. We're rich enough. We'll rebuild our city. And they rebuilt their city on their own. And they're very proud of that. And evidently that pride had seeped into that church because Jesus says in verse 17, church, you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And it's interesting what Jesus does. Jesus punches a hole in all three levels of their economy. Remember I told you their economy was built on the banking industry. People in that church probably worked for the bank. And Jesus says to this church that's proud of their banking industry, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You're poor and you don't even realize it. He says to a church that was proud of their wool and textile industry, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be, may, may not be revealed. He says to a church in a city, proud of their eye salve industry, verse 18, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, y'all are not as good as you think you are. Church, listen to me. I think one one of the biggest signs that we are living in the last days is this pride thing that's welling up in our society and it's coming into the church. In fact, here's what Paul says. I want you to see this. Second Timothy chapter three. Last letter Paul ever wrote, he's in prison, he's gonna die. And God is giving him an insight into what it's gonna be in the last days. And Paul says to Timothy, if you wanna know what it's gonna be like in the final days, here's what it's gonna be like. I want you to do this sometime. Sometime this week, read Second Timothy three, one and following and compare the traits of the last days to where we're at now. It's pretty eerie. But he says this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Do you know what we call that? We call that self-esteem. Lovers of money, boasters, proud. Beloved, y'all are watching end times unfold before your very eyes, and you don't even realize it. You know, God, now God is love, right? First John 4, 8, God is love. 
Do you know there are some things that God hates? Do you know one thing that God says repeatedly that he hates? Proverbs chapter eight, verse 13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride. And yet we're living in the last days and we have elevated pride. Do y'all find it ironic that we have taken the one thing God says I hate, I hate pride. We have elevated it. We've attached Noah's covenant sign with God to that. We've named a whole month after that. We are shaking our fists in the face of God. It's all over our society. Um, I, uh, I visited somebody in a hospital the other day and I love this hospital, I love the people there. All of our people who go to that hospital talk about how great it is. I'm not bashing the hospital. My, my point is, this is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I went to this hospital, and there's a giant banner out front, and it says, proud. We are awesome. Now, that doesn't sound strange to us because we have been so brainwashed on this virtue of pride. For the last several thousand years of human history, pride was not considered something to be boasting about, okay? We see this in our school system. Um, I heard a, an educator recently say, quote, the most important thing we can teach our children is self-esteem. No, it's not. It's reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's the most important thing you can teach our kids. But the self-esteem movement is so much of a part of our worldview that we don't even question it. We say, and we, again, it's filtered into the church. Yeah, but Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't learn to love your neighbor until you've learned to love yourself. That's not what he meant. That's superimposing 21st century pop psychology back onto Jesus Christ. That's putting a beard on Oprah and calling it Jesus, okay? That's not biblical. In fact, the cult of self-esteem is based on an unbiblical perspective. I'm into Christ esteem. I'm into lifting up Jesus Christ and understanding that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Celebrating over 20 years as senior pastor of Cross Assembly, Chad Harvey brings the truth unfiltered of God's Word to your daily life. Originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, his passion for reaching the lost, sending out spirit-filled agents to a global mission field, and equipping each member to lead their family in the amazing love and grace found only in Jesus has been the cornerstone of his time in leadership at Cross Assembly. Together with his family and a loving pastoral staff serving all throughout the week, they welcome you with open arms with any need, question, or request for spiritual guidance you face today. More than just a radio Bible teacher, discover the true blessing of joining God's family right here in the Triangle at one of our two campuses with a third coming this fall. Join us any Sunday for our online worship service at crossassembly.org. That's crossassembly.org. You'll be glad you did. 
Dream Center started back in 2014. Since then, it's been amazing to see how we started in more communities. And even through the pandemic, we grew from serving seven communities and ultimately impacting 57 communities over a short time. But watching the impact, it was the local churches that were stepping up. It was people like you that were coming out. You're serving, you're volunteering, and just pouring into the community for the sake of God's kingdom. Looking forward, we want to encourage you to be involved. If you're not familiar with us, go look at our website, RaleighDreamCenter.org. You can see all the places where you can volunteer. You can help package the groceries in our warehouse. You can come serve out in the communities. You can play with kids and hang out. Or if you're in the recovery world and you, you know somebody, maybe you have a family member who's going through it and you want somebody to walk alongside them, keep the Dream Center in mind. Send them along to us. We'd love to, to walk that walk with people uh, because we love people and we believe that's where Christ called us to go. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, uh, we see the great response where Jesus was said, I, I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And just all of these practical ways that the believers are supposed to walk and operate and how it's truly serving Christ in those ways. Thank you for those that volunteer. Thank you for those that give to this ministry. And together we can continue having a long lasting legacy here in the Raleigh area. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.